suicide game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined well, hello out there, and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Moran, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and yes, we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Welcome to Memento Number 10, Xerxes, Part 7, Uh-Oh, Forbidden Fruit, Part 1. So let's let's get back as the Beatles once so melodically suggested that we do to our main man, King of Kings, Xerxes. Let's refresh. It's 480 BC, and and most of Xerxes' army and traveling royal court are in mid-flight from Athens back to Sardis, his provincial capital in Anatolia. After which his his entourage will travel the royal road 1,600 miles east to his royal palace in Susa, modern-day Iran. Now, Xerxes has just witnessed his military force, the largest army and naval force ever assembled, get demolished, yet not totally destroyed in battle by an inferior size, but highly organized, highly motivated, superiorly led and strategically more sophisticated and sound allied Greek enemy than were the forces of Persia led by Xerxes. Now, fearful of his utter destruction uh, of he and his military force and, and with it an unfathomable loss of empire along with his own personal immurement and potential demise within Greece, Xerxes had literally bugged out having you know, rightfully concluded, I think, the optimal of course of action that was available to him at this point, moment in time was to get out of Dodge while he still could, you know, regroup only when safely ensconced back home. I mean, that's what he thought. So th- those months spent in Greece leading his gigantic military expedition on its mission to destroy the Greeks had proven to be a nightmare that Xerxes had never anticipated, never saw it coming. You know, anything that might have gone wrong had gone wrong. It had all been, you know, truly uh, and never to have been expected traumatic, shocking experience for the king of kings. And while not personally engaged in the actual fighting itself, make no mistake, No Alexander the Great pulsated through the veins of the king of kings. No, it did not. Xerxes did direct all the Persian engagements adorned in a purple robe, a diadem, you know, shown on his forehead while he himself was perched on an elevated um, golden throne beyond the range of enemy archers and protected by his loyal hand-picked bodyguard of the 10,000 immortals whom surrounded the emperor. We can then safely conclude the king of kings was not in the line of fire. In fact, he wasn't on or, or, or even near the front lines of battle. He overlooked the fighting from afar. 
And, you know, as I've mentioned, things had not gone well for the Persian emperor in Greece. No, they definitely had not. And in, in modern terminology, we might even suggest the king of kings, Xerxes, after his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days in Greece, he might be diagnosed as suffering from PTSD, having been traumatized by merely having witnessed the mass slaughter of his men at the hands of the Greek forces aligned against them. You know, after enduring this horror, poor Xerxes, he could have no possible idea that his queen, Amestra, soon enough, would, would be adding to his, you know, his nightly terrors by her decision to take him to the Persian version of the feared and ominous Yellowstone train station. He wouldn't see that train coming down, bearing down on him. No, he would not. And, you know, it has been written that Alexander the Great, 150 years after Xerxes, um, had slept every night um, with a copy of Homer's The Iliad stuffed beneath his pillow along with a dagger that he never forgot to place there each night as he tucked in. I don't know that a copy of the Iliad would have done much and would do much um, to comfort Xerxes in his sleep. But as you will learn later on about Queen Amestris, that dagger thing, you bet that might have helped him fall asleep, given his queen tended to wander the royal palace hallways in the dark of night. The sleep with one eye open rule? You know, it might well have originated right here in Xerxes' royal palace. I, I am not claiming, by the way, that Xerxes had clean hands in the situation we'll be unveiling. But still, well, well, you'll see. So back to the king and the train station. He wouldn't have available to him a man with the strength of character or the qualities found in a foreman like the indomitable Rip as John Dutton had on, on Yellowstone, to help him manage the myriad of troubles that crop up so routinely on any ranch. I mean, any royal palace. No, he did not. He had no rip. And surely Xerxes needed John Dutton's rip because his queen, Amestris, was the Persian version of Yellowstone's Beth on steroids, neglecting her antipsychotics, more likely, to temper an exponentially more violent, more sadistic, far greater homicidal streak than Beth. You know, symptoms possibly that might have been relieved or at least placed under a modicum of control by reliance upon regular dosings of Xanax or lithium but which, unfortunately, were a long way from Swiss pharmaceutical drawing boards in 480 B.C. Now, the queen would prove herself one scary homicidal maniac, an out-of-control, full-blown lunatic, beyond the ability to be reigned in even by her man, the king of kings, thought to rule all the known world. But it was proven um, his rule had two notable exceptions over which he was denied all authority. 
All lands and waters of Greece was one, and his wife, Queen Amestris, was the other. Oh, she was wicked. She was something else. And the historical record indicates that our boy Xerxes appears to have maintained two distinct talents. One was the proven ability to incite his wife, Queen Amestris, to turn the royal palace into a house of horrors, a fearsome, ferocious house of pain. You know, it's like the modern day um, house of terror in Budapest, you know, established by the merciless arrow cross with the support of Nazis during the Second World War and taken over by Stalin's ruthless communist tortures without missing a beat post-war. You know, Queen Amestris had turned Xerxes' royal palace into the place where fun came to die. Queen Amestris, she might well have been the inspiration, now that I think about it, for, the, for Cruella de Vil, the, the 101 Dalma- from the 101 Dalmatians, the 1956 novel on which Disney based the film of the same name that made her so famous. What with her love of dogs, as you'll see, and, 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 and her penchant for outrageous cruelty toward fellow human beings. The king's other, that second notable talent, was his doing the very thing that ignited his sociopathic, homicidal wife's fury in the first place, which from her, you know, dungeon of of a darkened soul was released, you know, an inner Freddy Krueger that unleashed her legion of doom, her incandescent wrath upon helpless, unknowing, and even innocent targets. That's that second talent of the kings? Well, Xerxes, as it turns out, was a Lothario possessed of an incurable wandering eye, an unquestionable, unquenchable thirst for the ladies. And this fueled the seething queen's fury to a frenzied, frenzied state, you know, resembling a, a blowtorch in full flame. You know, Xerxes was a Don Juan whom didn't lust, you know, just after any ladies. No, Xerxes definitely had some chalk on his shoes. He was wandering way, way out of bounds. He'd go rogue. Women, mere mere chattel in Persian society in 480 B.C., not that it's much different now, they, but they were not permitted to look directly into the eyes of the king of kings. But apparently, the king of kings spent a fair amount of time recklessly eyeballing them. You know, the king's eye captured so many of those alluring, lithesome bodies, irresistible beauties found right there in the form of all that local talent on the royal grounds in Susa, in Sardis. And as became totally clear, wherever the king of kings might choose to establish his royal tent. And in this regard, Xerxes, it cannot be refuted, had set the bar quite high for future rulers. He set a standard that's still applicable in the days of the reign of, you know, JFK and Camelot in the paradise that was Cuba. 
with that oh oh so handsome freedom fighter Fidel Castro and beside the desk in the Oval Office of Bill Clinton and anywhere in uh, Paradiso Italiano to be ravaged by that loathsome, shameless creature Silvio Bertolasconi, who at age 74, in an interesting twist, in, in, in my humble opinion, displayed a distinct taste for a preference whenever possible to have shipped in for his pleasure 17-year-old belly dancers from the Middle East, especially Morocco. I mean, really, how well can anybody ever know anybody? For Silvio, <laughs> apparently it was one of those, you know, total eclipse of the heart moments. Anyway, returning to Xerxes and the high bar he established, he would have certainly argued that he had managed to juggle the tangled affairs of state very well while simultaneously being able to manage the menagerie of birds which tended to circle, you know, flock in droves around, it, around the gilded cage of the most powerful man himself, head of state, emperor, and most notably, he as king of kings. You know, a critical, a critical component of incompetency is not having the ability to understand one's own incompetency. Xerxes' blind spot would lead to some real difficulties beyond, beyond the battlefield where he was, he was proven to be not up to the task at hand, but there were other areas of weakness other deficiencies in his skill set. As we shall see, given time, weakness will always be exploited. Please pay attention, if you would, to our next episode where we're going to begin to explore these weaknesses and the eruption of the Queen Amestris. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you had a good day and hope you'll return. Bye-bye. I am in a far-off place Half of a world away And there's so much to do And there's so much to see Mother Nature's had her way There are mountains and valleys And beautiful hills Each vista something new Though my imagination's been captured, my thoughts they return to you. So can you help relieve me of this burden on my back? There's something wrong deep inside of me, or something I must lack. For I've got this worry of believing. Must admit that I'm scared. So can you try?